Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Walker Little moves on. A key member of Stanford's old tree fence joins the show. And we want to play Pac-12 football. What now for all three of those areas? That's what we're going to get into on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Great to have you with us. It is Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. I'm indeed Troy Clarity. Hey, how are you? Hope you're doing well. I'm looking out my window at Blue Sky. Wow, I haven't seen that here in the Bay Area in, in, in quite some time. Certainly an improvement uh, from when I was voicing the show last week under a red sky. But glad to have you with us. Hopefully your skies are looking a bit sunnier. And uh, hope that we can bring a little more sunshine to your day and your week, no matter when you are listening to us. You're going to hear from Walker Little, Stanford left tackle, who made his announcement last week that he is going to forego the upcoming season and start preparing for the NFL draft. We'll hear his thoughts coming up in just a few moments. I'm fired up to uh, speak to our special guest on this week's TreeCast, a key member of Stanford's Tree Fence, who had a big hand in one of the great games in Stanford football history. A.J. Tarpley, our guest also coming up. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with him about all sorts of things. Uh, his his incredible road both in and out of football over the past few years and uh, what that Stanford-USC football game of 2011 still means to him. Plus three things you need to know around Stanford athletics. All sorts of things await you on the TreeCast. You can follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. You've got thoughts on the show. I always welcome them. Best way to do so is to send me a tweet. Give me the hashtag TreeCast when you do. That by far is your best chance to ensure that I see your thoughts. Hashtag TreeCast. And if you haven't done so yet, subscribe, rate, and review the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on your preferred listening app via Google Play, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher. I think Alexa has you hooked up as well. All sorts of different ways that you can listen to the show. Uh, if you like the show, tell me about it or tell the world about it. If you don't like the show, tell me about it and let me know what I can do to make it better for you. Three things you need to know around Stanford football coming up in just, or Stanford athletics rather, coming up in just a moment or so. But first, this reminder that yes, football is back and you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action Thanks to our friends at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online, and there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Got it? Good. Let's get you three things you need to know around Stanford athletics, starting with number one. And of course, the big news of the day overall in college sports is the Big Ten announcing its plan to return to playing football during the weekend beginning October 23rd. Big Ten, of course, was the first to halt fall sports. The Pac-12 followed suit a couple of days later. So now that the Big Ten appears to be coming back, what about the Pac-12? That, of course, is the big question now, and when the Pac-12 announced it wasn't going to play this fall, it did so in part because of the lack of, of rapid testing that you need on the scale uh, that, that you need to have in order to pull off football and other fall sports. That, that wasn't there. The scale of that rapid testing just wasn't there. Well, that, of course, has changed with the Pac-12's partnership with uh, Quidel that was announced two weeks ago that really helps allow uh, for more rapid testing and the scale that you need to pull off uh, college football at this level. That apparently put November potentially on the table for Pac-12 football's return. But 
As I say this on very early Wednesday afternoon, West Coast time, California and Oregon have not given their go-ahead for teams to practice, much less play. Now, I would imagine that the partnership with Quidel certainly would help sway things potentially in the Pac-12 direction because, look, the Pac-12 would love to be playing right now, but they want to be able to do it in a safe and responsible way. But who, who knows? And, and besides, California and Oregon, they have, quite frankly, more pressing pressing issues to deal with as I say this. So, so as of right now, nothing has changed from last week from the Stanford and Pac-12 perspectives. But with the Big Ten now in the fold, starting in late October, the Pac-12 now the only Power 5 conference as of right now with no concrete plans to return to football before the end of the year. Let's get to number two. And the NFL fired up last weekend. I'm not going to lie. I was pleasantly surprised by the quality of play, given the fact that there were no preseason games. Uh, was it completely crisp? No, but certainly a lot better than I was expected. But it was kind of fun to watch the NFL in its return uh, over the weekend. And there, of course, were no shortage of Stanford alums to keep an eye on. One of them made his first NFL start on Sunday. Congratulations to Nate Herbig, former Cardinal offensive lineman who got the start for the Philadelphia Eagles at right guard against the Washington football team. Well done by that undrafted free agent, um, A.J. Tarpley, a former undrafted free agent himself. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on, on some Stanford football undrafted free agents who have made a mark. Maybe Nate Herbig is on his way to uh, being the next. By the way, Zach Ertz caught a touchdown for Philadelphia. Casey Tuhill was inactive. Meanwhile, Bryce Love was also inactive for Washington, who came back from 17-0 down to beat Philadelphia 27-17. How about that? And as of right now, Washington in sole possession of first place in the NFC East. Didn't think I'd see that at any point in the season. Yeah, I know it's after week one, but I honestly didn't see that coming at all. Still, congratulations, Nate Herbig, and all the other Stanford alumni in the NFL. Let's finish it up with number three. And speaking of Stanford alumni in the NFL, there's a new book that was released this week, written by a Stanford alum, about a Stanford alum, and legend. Jason Cole, Stanford class of 1984, and a former Stanford Daily Sports editor, wrote a biography about some guy named John Elway. Uh, the book is called Elway, A Relentless Life, and uh, it was uh, released on Tuesday. And the excerpts I've seen uh, of the book, super thorough and, and really insightful uh, stuff to a read. Uh, Jason had hundreds of hours of interviews with John Elway himself, um, his family, and uh, many of the key people uh, in his life along the way. Cole covered the NFL, has covered the NFL for the last three decades. And of course, John Elway currently uh, the general manager of uh, Den the Denver Broncos and a pro football hall of famer. So if you're looking for a stocking stuffer for a Stanford football fan, I mean, I, I know we're in September. I'm already thinking about the holidays, but hey, you might have a stocking stuffer now. You're welcome. Those are three things. I want to go back to the Pac-12 standing alone among Power Five conferences in football, uh, again, for just a, a brief moment or so, with uh, the Big Ten's announcement on Wednesday morning that uh, it has uh, formulated a plan and it is uh, going to uh, aim to return to football play uh, before, the, before October um, is done. And, and by all accounts, um, at least by what folks are telling us anyway, at least the folks who made the decisions anyway, the presidents who made the vote on this, this was made, this decision was made solely due to advances in testing and other medical advances that have been made uh, over the last six weeks or so. So some politicians can can claim victory, can claim that they had a hand in that, well, whatever. You know, it's, it's more often than not the medical issue uh, that, that put the presidents over the top and having them vote the way they did and having that vote made official on Wednesday. Wednesday morning, but you know now the pack now the Pac-12 is all alone, and I'm not gonna lie. I mean, last week it was cool. I had fun watching college football again. That uh, Texas San Antonio Texas State game that was bonkers. My God, watching the end of that game was just nuts. Shout out to um, ESPN's. Uh, Rod Gilmore and Dave Fleming, two Stanford guys who were paired together uh, calling college football this fall. Uh, props to those guys and shout out to those guys uh, for their announcing uh, of that bonkers, bonkers game. Now, would I have preferred to have been watching Stanford at Arizona last week? Yeah, you bet. 
But here we are, as mentioned, waiting for California and for Oregon uh, to make the approvals that it needs to make uh, in order for uh, the California schools, Stanford, Cal, UCLA, and USC, and the Oregon schools, Oregon and Oregon State, uh, to even get on the practice field, much less be able to compete. And look, obviously the, the we want to play movement is now sweeping through the Pac-12, USC players writing California Governor Gavin Newsom outlining their case because they obviously want to play. I was also seeing some other things um, directed from Oregon players, Oregon football players, to uh, Oregon Governor Katie Brown about how much they want to play. And, and again, I, I, I get it completely. I want them to play too. There's a lot of things I want. But I also want, above all else, everything to be tightened up with this virus as much as it possibly can. And until that point, it's not about what we want. I want them to play too. But I also want this virus to be put behind us as well, more than anything else. And, and California's response to COVID-19, it hasn't been 100%. No one's response to this virus has been on the state, local, and certainly the federal levels either. But the state of California has, has taken this seriously. I don't think you can say that about other states. So given how California has approached this overall, um, I'm willing to give them a bit more of the benefit of the doubt on when they decide if it's responsible for college football to proceed in the Pac-12 in the state of California. Um, I'm more willing to, to give them the, the, the benefit of the doubt here. And I'm sure, once again, the Pac-12's partnership with the Quidel Corporation hopefully stacks things in the Pac-12's favor. We'll see. I'm not going to make any grand predictions. I, I think the year 2020 has, has put me out of the prediction business, <laughs> certainly for the remainder of the year. Maybe I get back into it in 2021. Who knows? But still, overall, I'm encouraged, I'm more encouraged by folks getting back on the field and doing it safely and responsibly before the end of the year than I have been certainly since late May, early June. And that's a good thing. Do I think that the Pac-12 should base everything based on it being the only Power 5 conference out of the mix right now? No, no, not necessarily. Because there are certain things and certain uh, qualifications and certain things in the Pac-12 that is taken into account that, that the other conferences, quite honestly, don't. So still good to see. But where the Pac-12 goes from here and how quickly it gets there, heck, maybe there's an announcement by the time you hear this. Who knows? That will bear watching perhaps in the days ahead. One announcement that was made last week after last week's episode of the TreeCast posted was Stanford left tackle Walker Little announcing his decision to forego the 2020 season and get ready for the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, certainly not a surprise. It's certainly uh, something that we have uh, discussed, uh, that possibility over the past few weeks once the Pac-12 made its announcement that it intended uh, that it was going to be halting a a competition uh, until January 1st at the very earliest, at least at, as of that point anyway. But certainly not a, a big surprise, uh, as, as, as we have discussed on this show uh, on a couple of occasions um, over the last uh, few weeks or so. Especially when you consider that Walker Little thought very highly of in NFL draft Nick circles. And go back to our show a couple of weeks ago when we had longtime NFL draft analyst uh, Tony Pauline of the uh, Pro Football Network and currently a host of the Draft Analysts podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Always good to get that synergy in there. But uh, Tony joined us on the show a couple weeks ago, so I definitely had to get his thoughts on Walker Little as an NFL draft prospect. I am an old school guy that prioritizes pure left tackles, and that's what Walker Little is. He's got excellent length. He's a good athlete. He blocks with terrific fundamentals. You'll watch him. He's got great knee bend, very agile, very effective out on the second level. Not the strongest guy in the world, but a smart guy who uses good body positioning and angles and fundamentals to protect the blind side of his quarterback. I have him graded as a first-round pick. From people I've talked to in the league, he's more of a late first-rounder, early second-round guy. But I think when all is said and done, his ability to play left tackle in the NFL – 
will trump everything, which I think is going to push him probably into the middle part of round one. That's NFL draft analyst Tony Pauline, who joined us on the uh, Stanford NFL past, present, and future episode of the TreeCast from a couple weeks ago. If you want to go back and uh, revisit that episode and listen to that entire conversation in which James Lofton also uh, joined us, I highly uh, suggest that you go back and check that episode out. And, And yeah, as we talked about in the weeks leading up to Walker Little's decision, uh, I I think it's a I think it's a no brainer that he goes off to the NFL at this point. He is going to get his degree this December. He is still working towards that. So so it's not a question of him leaving school early because he's he's going to have that piece of paper with him to take with him um, into his uh, NFL and his pro football career. So he's going to get his degree. He's going to fulfill that uh, portion um, of of his of his duties, I guess, in a sense, to Stanford. And now he's a chance to go get paid. There, there's really no reason for him to, to come back to, to playing for Stanford, especially if it does not get off uh, on the football field until January or in the spring, perhaps. You just have no idea. You don't want to get hurt again in the winter and spring and completely throw your, uh, your NFL rookie season totally out of whack. So I, th- I thought it was the right move for Walker Little, and I applaud him for it. Walker, on Tuesday afternoon, joined members of the Stanford football media to just kind of take us through his decision. I'm going to play a good portion, or at least a, a portion of that, uh, of that conference uh, with Walker Little and the Stanford football media. Of course, the tree cast was there and all over it. Uh, and it begins with Walker's thoughts on why he's making this decision now and how large of a factor David Shaw had in that decision. My decision was going to be based a lot on like what he said, because ultimately like me and my parents don't know anything more than he does. Like he's the one who has the connections to the NFL. He's the one who's been here and done that with other players. And so his, you know, opinion meant a lot. Um, And he believed that, you know, I had enough film out there and that I was ready enough um, to take that next step. Um, and it was exciting to me to kind of take the next step and be like, all right, this is what my life's going to look like for the next six months. I'm going to leave. I'm going to start training and preparing for the NFL draft and preparing for the combine. Um, and I think all of us could agree that it's, it's been tiring these past few months of living in this world of so many question marks. It was nice to kind of be able to pave my own path and, and make that decision be like, this is where I'm going. This is the path I want to take with my life. And so um, that was that was a big part of it, just being able to kind of take control over what the next few months are going to look like for myself um, and give myself the best opportunity to hopefully go as high as I can in the draft. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine in some respects this was a difficult decision, as, as you just hinted at, but I imagine in some other respects perhaps this was an easy decision to make. What, what made this decision difficult? What made this decision easy, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I would say and difficulties was just like, accepting the fact that I wasn't going to get like the last kind of finale of a season, a senior season. Um, I was going to get to play with some of these guys who I've been, you know, wanting to play with specifically like playing with Davis. Um, I never, I didn't get a shot to play with them last year. I've been dying to play with them since, you know, we've been on campus together. Um, since I saw them throwing in high school. Um, and so I was really excited about what, especially our offense was going to be able to do, what our offensive line unit was going to be able to do, especially with me and Drew and Foster all, you know, coming in as seniors. Um, so that was definitely the toughest part was accepting that, all right, maybe maybe that's not going to be able to happen. Um, and maybe choosing to leave that is going to be the right choice. Um, I don't, not too much of it was easy except for just talk, once I talked to Coach Shaw and kind of got his uh, perspective on it, his um, – view on what he thought was best for me that that eased me a little bit it didn't make the decision that much easier but it gave me a little bit of peace of mind that okay like this is the right choice I'm not just kind of going on a whim here um I have someone who's done this many times before and um I respect a lot and has you know steered me right all the way up to this point you know telling me that this is the right choice so um that was definitely a huge uh, a burden off my back. How much attention have you paid to the uh, mock drafts? Um, I mean, not much. They, they go back and forth so often. They they move as the wind blows. So, I mean, the mock draft that will be coming out today won't be anywhere near what it looks like next week or the week after that. So, it's just kind of wasting your time to look at it and just kind of 
is either going to build your you know confidence up or shoot it down and ultimately those guys that are running most of these mock drafts aren't going to be the ones who are making the decision so um just like anything else um just like it, it it's similar to just being in the season almost you can't look at the rankings every single week and just be like uh you know, coach Shaw and everyone always talked about just kind of going day by day and doing your work and if you put the work in eventually you'll you know bear the fruits of that, that hard work and so that's kind of where I'm at it's just kind of going day by day doing what I'm supposed to be doing each day um you know working hard and training for these next few months as well as finishing out school um and then you know we'll see we'll we'll see where it all ends up um you know and I guess in April next year Last calendar year, uh, injury, team struggled, pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. challenges, high points. What have you learned about yourself throughout this whole last calendar year? Yeah, I mean, it's been a wild year, like, looking back on it. And that was – that was something me and Coach Shaw, like, discussed and, and talked about just kind of reflecting on the past year and then his kind of opinion on it was just how much I'd grown. And, and it gave me a chance to kind of realize how much, you know, from – the injury kind of having to like take a step back and be like, all right, you're not going to play this year. You're going to play next year. Like, let's just get to work now. And working all this time and really changing uh, my like mentality of work and really enjoying it and, and learning to love to work out or like loving to learn to train and love to change my body um, was really exciting and fun and definitely a huge development for me. Um, so much doubt, you know, creeps in and then you just kind of block it out. And it's, it's a microcosm of life in a way of just attacking each day, um, putting in the work on the, the forefront. And then, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll you know, get the results you want at the back end. Um, and then having to do so much of, of my training on the back end and working so much on my own, um, as, you know, a lot of the college athletes around the country did. Um, really instilled a different type of discipline because uh, usually you have coaches just kind of barking at you, telling you what to do when you're doing everything's wrong. Um, but having to do it on your own and really, you know, be true to yourself and realize that, you know, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be the player I want to be come fall. Um, it really, for me, it it made me so much more of a professional. And that's what, you know, me and uh, Coach Shaw talked about and, and part of the reason why, and we both felt comfortable with me making this next step was it almost had felt like I was a pro for the last you know six months having to be home having to you know figure out the times I was going to train figure out the times I was going to do other things and then scheduling my life out I and mean, having to do a lot of this stuff on my own where all of college most of the time that's that time is put out for you you know you have your schedule and that's made by the football team and, and by your classes um but for the first time really being able to like do it and then work hard and then see that I was doing the right things. I was growing, I was getting stronger, I was getting faster, I was getting better as a football player. I'm um, then coming back ready for the season, getting swept out front of you, then kind of looking back and you're like, wow, I really you know, felt like I was a professional for the past you know, four months of training and stuff. So that really gave me a lot of confidence too in this decision and, and was just another kind of reflection on how much I've grown. Cause I know, you know, two, three years ago, I would never have trusted myself to, uh, I've trained by myself like I have. I've just learned so much uh, from players and coaches at Stanford that really taught me you know, how to be a professional each and every day. And, um, and you know, that's one of the biggest parts about coming to Stanford that I look back on and, and appreciate. Best moment on the field, uh, coolest moment, maybe away from football at Stanford. Um, best moment on the field. Beating Cal, my, like, so the end of my sophomore year was the last game. They got pushed back because of the smoke and then winning and winning that with some of those seniors that I'd looked up to so much, um, like Bryce and Bobby. And that was, that was, that was probably uh, maybe the coolest moment for me seeing those guys like hold up the ax and just uh, appreciating, you know, how much work they put in, how much they've helped me. Um, and there's such a build up to that game and, you know, we didn't play as much as we wanted to. It's still be able to, to pull it out at the end. It was That was really cool, kind of coming back in the locker room and, and doing that. Um, best moment off the field, i just say, you know, the collective memories of, you know, living with these guys from freshman year when we all, you know, didn't know what the hell we were doing. We are just kind of deer in the headlights, figuring it out. 
Um, and then getting to senior year, we felt like so much control in the program. And um, we were going to be the reason why, you know, we won or we lost. Um, and that growth in between and all the memories just kind of outside of football in between are the things I'll you know, cherish the most about, about these past three or so years. That is a portion of Walker Little's meeting with the media on Tuesday afternoon. Myself, Jacob Rayburn from uh, Rivals and the Cardinal Sports Report, and RJ Abadia of the Bootleg and 24-7 Sports. Dot com And there were, uh, among the things that you did not hear um, in, in the course of our conversation with him, uh, he, he admitted that, look, you know, he came in as part of a very ballyhooed recruiting class, um, and they were looking forward to doing some really big things, and a lot of things out of their control, and some things that were in their control that they just did not get a chance to be at full strength and did not get a chance and will not get a chance to to truly accomplish a lot of the things that they hope to hope to do. I mean, you know, Walker said, look, I, I wanted to play for Davis Mills so badly. And I was looking forward to being part of the senior class to 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 lead this team and to show them to way and to and to not just do it sitting on the sidelines and street clothes on game day, but actually be out there on the field and helping Sanford football be all that it could possibly be in the win loss column. So it was intriguing to hear him talk about that. Um, he's very he's got nothing but great things to say about Walter Rouse and when why not the true freshman from last year did a fantastic job of filling in um, in Walker Little's absence and uh, and and. Really Really did, did did terrific work there and was also very complimentary of Miles Hinton, uh, true freshman this year in this year's uh, class um, as far as uh, what could possibly be the future for him on the uh, offensive line uh, for Stanford as well. And he's already training uh, in Pensacola. He, he's already uh, down there. He's going to be taking his classes online as pretty much everybody else is for Stanford uh, for fall quarters. He works towards uh, finishing up his degree this December. But he's already down in Pensacola and getting ready for the combine and getting re- ready for all the things that uh, his body will need to be up to speed on uh, by the time the NFL draft rolls around. So, hey, best of luck to Walker Little. Uh, I can't wait to see what he can do on the next level. Um, really enjoyed, you know, being around him a little bit, getting a chance to chat with him, and, and just uh, just a mountain of a dude, six seven and three hundred whatever pounds it is. Uh, he is going to make a quarterback very very happy, and I, th- I think an offensive line coach very very pleased um, on the next level. Looking forward to seeing um, what he can do. And um, who knows, there may be one, maybe a couple of other uh, similar announcements uh, for Stanford football players potentially opting out in 2020 and focusing their attentions on the upcoming NFL draft. Then again, maybe with the Pac-12 being closer to football than we might think, who knows? Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. One thing that I do know is that this week would have been Stanford-USC week. In the original iteration of the Pac-12 football schedule and Stanford's football schedule, of course, the season would have begun September 5th versus William & Mary. Last week, Stanford would have been down in the desert facing the Arizona Wildcats. But this week, this week, against the USC Trojans. And, you know, it would have been a week where I would have been walking up towards towards practice and, and, and hearing this. In the background, <laughs> Tribute to Troy. You'd think I'd like a song called Tribute to Troy, but in this case, when I've got my Stanford hat on, I certainly mo- I certainly do not. When I got my Pac-12 Network hat on, it's neutral. Trust me on that. When I got my Stanford hat on, uh, no, I, I do not like the Tribute to Troy song, followed by Fight On for USC. I would have been hearing that on the loudspeaker over and over and over again while standing outside of Stanford football practice with the music turned up to 11 and left alone for the remainder of practice until Coach Shaw blew the whistle to gather everybody up and to take everybody off the field. Okay, that, that's enough of that. Okay, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, going to miss Stanford USC week this year. Um, at least as of now, it's, it's not going to happen. But I'm going to miss it because Stanford USC, you know, you can talk about big game, Stanford Cal, and it certainly is the traditional rivalry game for Stanford. 
Other terrific rivalries have popped up over the past few years with Stanford and Oregon, Stanford and Notre Dame. But Stanford-USC has been the most important rivalry for Stanford over the past dozen years. And I think if you ask a lot of the recent Stanford graduates and some of the kids who are on campus now, hey, who's Stanford's biggest rival right now? They might not say Cal. They might say USC. Well, they might say Cal now that the axe is on the other side of the bay. But certainly Stanford-USC has everyone's attention. And, man, it would have been nice to have been able to experience that this year, even with the fight song droning on and on and on and over and over and over again. Would have been nice. Would have been nice. That being said, I cannot think of Stanford USC without thinking about our special guest on the TreeCast for this week because he certainly had a tremendous hand in maybe the greatest edition of Stanford USC and certainly one of the great games in Stanford football history. And what a road he has had in and out of football since last playing for the Cardinal in the 2014 season. Has played in the NFL, the Alliance of American Football, and the XFL as well. And in 2014, he was second team All-Pac-12. Been looking forward to having this chat, and I'm glad that he could join us right here and now. A pleasure to welcome into the program A.J. Tarpley right here on the TreeCast. AJ, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. And thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the uh, the awesome introduction there. Yeah. Hey, well, there's a lot of awesome things that we get a chance to talk about here over the next uh, few minutes or so. Um, let's start here. Your last football experience was with the XFL. I'll get your further thoughts on that here in just a few moments or so. But the league shutting down in the middle of the spring because of the pandemic and maybe some other things as well. How have the last few months been for you working through that, dealing with the pandemic and everything else that that life is seemingly thrown at us here in 2020? Right. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, it's been different. Obviously, for everybody, I feel extremely blessed um, just to be able to, you know, just keep working out and having enough money saved up to where all I'm doing is working out. And uh, obviously, I'm a finance guy, so I, I try and stay up with that, whether it's reading or uh, just watching things. But that's pretty much all I've been doing is reading, working out, repeat uh, every day. So I've been bouncing back and forth between California um, visiting my parents in the Midwest, and then now I'm with actually two of my former Stanford roommates, uh, Devin Carrington and David Perry up in Minnesota, where I actually grew up. So I've been a little bit, you know, in D.C., in California, in Minnesota, in Indianapolis, in Michigan. So I've been everywhere, just trying to enjoy it, take every day uh, for what it's worth and make the best out of it. Well, outstanding stuff. And if football season is back almost everywhere not quite here in pac 12 country just yet maybe that changes uh right. very soon who knows but but football season, fall football anyway is back what, what does that mean to you it's cool to see obviously i had no idea what was going to happen i think that was most people's conclusions up until you know today for the big 10 obviously so i knew that things were going to be different no matter uh you know different parts of the country different rules different conferences i I just try to read as much as I could about the different situations. I, you know, I felt like the NCAA was kind of staying out of things and letting the conferences do it, you know, how each one was going to do it. And obviously it's new, you know, with the, uh, you know, COVID. So no one really knows what to expect going forward. Everyone's trying to manage it. You see the NFL is doing a good job with how low their positive tests have been. And a lot of people, you know, taking it very seriously like they should and trying to find ways to work around it. So it seems like there's a lot of good things going on and that's how conferences are able to, you know, get things up and running. Now, physical risk is a part of football. I don't need to tell you that you, you retired from the NFL the first time around because of concussion concerns. And that's even the case, even without a global pandemic and everyone grappling with that. What's your read on how different entities involved, you know, conferences, uh, sports league, uh, even the players and coaches themselves, what's your read on how everyone has kind of handled the, the risk management uh, portion of all of this? You know, I, I don't know if I have a specific opinion on it, but it is. it does seem like things are being handled differently, whether it be, you know, just by a conference base. Um, but it is cool to see the different stuff, the different information, and how people are reacting to it. 
I try and, you know, take things in. And obviously in today's world with social media, you get the news instantly right on your phone, whether it be Twitter or online or wherever. So I think there's a lot of good things that are coming about it. You know, they see the NFL are getting tested daily and the number of tests they're conducting. And then there's debates, you know, why are they getting these tests when other states or other people don't have the same access to the test? So there's a thousand different ways you can go about debating it, arguing about it, talking about it. Um, I'm just trying to stay positive and see really how things are working. Um, like I said, the NFL seems to be working so far, knock on wood. So it's pretty amazing to me to see the reaction, to see the innovation taking place, whether it be testing, whether it be on stuff like this, Zoom calls, you know, all the things that are happening in the world, um, you know, you just hope some positives will come out of it. Yeah, certainly. And, and so far, or at least some, some non-positives, if you want right, to look at it right. <laughs> that way. Correct. Uh, your last uh, football experience was with the XFL, uh, the DC Defenders. And I, I really enjoyed watching that product. It seemed like a really cool product to be a part of. Uh, the DC Defenders, if I remember correctly, at, the, at their home games, they'd have the little beer cut from the <laughs> stack from the bottom yep, row up yep, to the top. That yep. was really cool. Uh, what was your takeaway from, from that entire experience? It was fun. It was a fun experience. And for me, being in both those leagues that, well, I'm, you know, now the XFL is going to be revived or that's the, that's what many are thinking, obviously with the rock Dwayne Johnson and his partners buying it. Um, but it was fun. It was another chance, you know, to get out there and play football, which at the end of the day is what most of those guys or all of those guys, we, that's what we wanted to do was we wanted an opportunity to showcase our abilities to try and get back into the NFL. And, for me, you know, I'm 28 now, so I don't know what the rest of my football career entails, if it's over, if it's not. Um, you know, my job is just to stay in shape and hope for the best. But the experience was awesome. It was very similar to the AAF experience, not only in the format, eight teams, two conferences, um, you know, eight games, and then playoff. And obviously neither leagues got to those points, which was unfortunate. But, you know, they had their reasons. Um, but it was just fun. It was an awesome opportunity. And for me, the, the, the thing that really stuck out the most in the XFL and the AAF is that the guys that you're playing with, that you're sharing the locker room with, you know, no one's making, you know, we're making good money and you're, you're honored and you're grateful to play football for a living to make money doing that. But no one's, you know, making a lot of money doing it. And so everyone there is really, you know, you put your head down, you work. There's very little egos compared to other places um you know everyone's really just trying to work together and that would made, made it most fun for me it kind of maybe along those lines a little bit and maybe kind of dovetails a little bit nicely with uh with some aspects of of, of your career as uh you, you you graduated from stanford were not drafted but you were picked by the buffalo bills as an undrafted free agent and in your year in buffalo had a couple of key interceptions at the very end of that season so you had an impact on the Bills' season and it, it seems like stanford has had more than its share of undrafted free agents do big things. I mean, Doug Baldwin, probably the king of them all, Johnson, Ben, yep. Mosey, and a few others uh, that, that, who's, who are escaping me right now, uh, yourself included. What does it say that Stanford is able to have guys make impacts on, on the pro level, even though they might not have their names called on draft weekend? Definitely. It's good and bad. You know, the positive out of it, obviously the guys that you've named, some incredible careers um, that have came from it. You know, Michael Thomas was a guy that I played with who's another guy that was in that position. He's still playing, yep. um, you know, a captain, and he's played for multiple teams. So the, the bad news is that, you know, those guys are getting overlooked, you know, you, so you don't know why. There's not one factor of why. And you get the label, you're a Stanford guy. And in the corporate world, that's awesome. You know, you kind of have this degree and this certification almost that, okay, maybe they are responsible. Maybe you can count on them. Maybe they're more mature. Um, but at the end of the day, the NFL is a business. And so, you know, me, especially making my decision to quit football is there is that Stanford thing. Well, okay, maybe he doesn't need football. And so that's the words that, you know, get thrown around is, okay, do these guys need football? And I'm very biased, you know, but I think that actions speak louder than words. And I tried to carry myself that way. So just because these guys, myself, Mike Thomas, Doug Baldwin, just because you have a Stanford degree, um, you know, I don't know anybody else that loved the game as much as we did. So it's something that it happens. It's part of it. You know, the NFL is a business and those guys get paid to make decisions. So whether it be right or wrong, there's going to be guys that fall through the cracks and end up making a name for themselves. And so there's always going to be a double-edged sword there. But I think it's just, in, you know, you got to credit the guys for doing it. 
Um, I'm very blessed to see guys like Doug that were older than me that I played with. Hey, he wasn't drafted and then he made it and then he was a pro bowler, you know, repeatedly. So it's some awesome role models in there that, you know, I just feel lucky to, to experience and see the way they work. Yeah, Doug might never have to buy his own meal in Seattle ever again. <laughs> that dude is right, a legend right. uh, back in that part of the country. Uh, let's go back in the day so to speak. I feel weird saying back in the day to you. I'm, I'm class 97, so I feel I'm, I'm, I'm ancient. I'm old, but let's go, back, right. let's go back in your day. Minnesota Gatorade football player of the year did fantastic things on, on the high school level out in the Twin Cities area. Uh, what sort of things tipped the scales in Stanford's favor when you were deciding which college to go to? Yeah, so I actually only had two offers um, coming out of high school. I guess I committed my junior spring, I believe it was when I was in Minnesota, but my offers were Central Florida and Stanford. And at the time, Jim Harbaugh was a coach and this was before they went to the Sun Bowl. So my senior year of high school when I was committed was when Toby uh, and the team went to the Sun Bowl. But before that, you know, they, they weren't a powerhouse. Uh, you know, they, he was trying to build things there. But for me, it was Central Florida or Stanford. I, I wanted to go originally to somewhere in the Big Ten. You grow up in Minnesota and you watch Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, you know, whoever it may be playing in the Rose Bowl and you see them and, you know, that's who I wanted to play for. James Laurinaitis was a guy, he went to my high school and he was, you know, however many All-American at Ohio State and had an awesome career. So it's like, those are the things I was hoping for, but they never came. And so for me, it was like, hey, if these two schools, you know, can offer me a scholarship and that's where I'm going to go and I'm going to make a name for myself there. And I would get texts from the, the Central Florida guys saying, hey, it's, you know, it's 85 degrees, you know, how's the weather in Minnesota, whether it be December <laughs> or whatever it was. Um, but for me, it was Harbaugh and then, you know, the institution that Sanford is. It was something that as I'm growing older each year, I'm more appreciative that I had the opportunity to attend Sanford. Uh, but at the time, you know, when you're 17 years old, not that you overlook it, but it, it, it means different things. And so I couldn't be more thankful to attend Stanford. I'm lucky. I'm grateful that I went there, but those are the two schools that it came down to. And at the end of the day, it was the institution and uh, Coach Harbaugh that brought me there. It's 85 degrees on the farm as well, and a heck of a lot less humid than it is in Central <laughs> right, Florida. Right, right, As a freshman, you played on that you, – you did not play, rather, on that 2010 team, but you were on that squad, you were, you were part of it, and you saw those guys – Take Stanford football to heights that it had not reached, even though it didn't result in the Rose Bowl. That season still resulted in an Orange Bowl. I was there that night down in Miami, and I will take that mm -hmm. evening and that postgame celebration with me <laughs> to my grave. There you How go. How special was that 2010 team? Very special. You could talk about, you know, for hours about the guys that were on their team. Um, but, you know, I was a guy, I was 18 years old, red shirting, and what it allowed me to do was just compete every day and watch guys every day that had excellence in their games, you know, whether it be guys like Doug, whether it be guys like Andrew Luck, Owen Marisic, um, you know, whoever it was, a guy that I still talk to and look up to today is Max Bergen. And he was, you know, an older guy in the team, a linebacker that took me under his wing. So it was the impact that those guys had. I, I got to play in the scout team. So I was going against David DeCastro, Chase Beeler, Andrew Phillips, you know, Jonathan Martin, all those guys, Kobe Fleener, Zach Ertz. So it was like, you get thrown out there, here, here's the card, you know, try and cover this guy, try and beat these guys on the blocks. And it was an awesome opportunity watching that Orange Bowl team. Um, you know, it, it was just a process. And that's the things looking back is that's what transformed players like myself, uh, players like Henry Anderson, David Perry, all those guys, you know, we were, just grinding on the scout team, hoping for the best and then getting a good seat to watch the game on Saturdays. So it was, it was an awesome experience that I think really attributed to a lot of people's success. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And certainly helped set the tone for, for the next uh, few years uh, for, for that program, including the following year, 2011, your, your, your sophomore season, redshirt freshman season, you started getting some playing time. You started getting the majority of starts at one of the inside linebacker spots including a game against USC down at the LA Memorial Coliseum. Um, take me through that week as you remember it and, and take me through that game as you remember it. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a long game for sure. And there weren't many defensive highlights, but that week, uh, I think it was either my second or third start overall. And so you're young. Uh, my first start was against Washington State. and That was kind of, you know, that first 
just get it out there, get it out of your nerves or however you are as a player, you know, get it out. You're starting and you get that over with. And so then it's like, okay, this is the second or third and you're going into USC. So like I was talking about before, you watch those Rose Bowls and it's big 10 versus, you know, Pac-10 back then, but you know, you see USC and you see the games in the uh, Coliseum, you see the white horse and, you know, the whole, you know, whatever it is, the atmosphere of it all. So leading up in the week, I'm not a big nerves guy. I, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm lucky, you know, I'm not a puker or anything before the games like some guys are, but I just wanted to play like myself. Um, and I've also never been a guy that's had huge expectations. You know, I was, I had those two offers in high school. I was never a five star. I was never deemed to be, you know, the next great one or whatever. Obviously playing next to Scove, you know, I, I was blessed and that, you know, there wasn't some big spotlight on me. Um, so I don't know if that's what caused the lack of nerves or whatever it was, but it was just, hey, prepare it like it's another game. And that cliche gets thrown around a lot, but there is some truth to it. So, you know, you prepare for the game. I think we had college game day there too. And so we just knew it was going to be a thing where, hey, go out there, play football, have fun. Um, it turned out to be a terrible game defensively for us, <laughs> you know, and the guys that I was surrounded by. But I just remember it being extremely long, extreme, you know, just a battle back and forth. We couldn't stop them. I think I'm still embarrassed at some of those plays in the first and second overtime that, that we let get through. But, you know, that team, we knew, you know, just try and get Andrew Luck the ball, try and get the offense the ball so they could finish it. And we finally did. And, you know, credit to my teammates. All I did was jump on the fumble at the end, made a couple plays earlier in the game. Um, but it was just an awesome experience overall because you feel like you're part of it. You feel like you made an impact despite being young and not having these expectations on you. Um, so it was something I'll cherish forever, you know, having my family there to watch me, having it be a big moment for the program and everyone. Yeah, you had an interception earlier in that game um, as well. And it's always amazing when, when people talk about shootouts. Fans love them, offensive <laughs> players love them, but exactly. defensive players are just like, oh, my gosh, what mm -hmm. the heck are we going to do yeah, next? Yeah, I don't I think always our film that. session was very, uh, yeah. it was very nice until the end. So, <laughs> um, well, Is that your favorite moment for, with Stanford football or, or something else? I mean, I imagine there's a whole litany of stuff that you could probably choose from uh, in that category. That one's up there for sure. Um, you know, you have team accomplishments, you have individual accomplishments. Uh, I think that was the, the interception, uh, forced to fumble, jumping on the fumble recovery. Individually, that was huge for me, just getting my confidence so young. Um, it allowed me to play free the rest of my career. Uh, obviously, winning the Rose Bowl was huge. Winning the Pac-12 a couple times was huge. So when it came to, you know, the, the team accomplishments, those things stand out. But that was definitely one that, I think a lot of people will remember me for that's the first thing they asked me about because I did feel like it was my coming out party. You know, it was like, Hey, I finally showed or not finally, but you know, I got a chance to show that I could play. So it was huge. Um, but the Rose bowl and the PAC 12 stuff are up there too. You graduate from Stanford, you're undrafted free agent from Buffalo. You play for them for a year. Uh, you retire due to concussion concerns, and you spend the next few years on Wall Street working uh, for, for, for Bank of America slash Merrill Lynch. Then you get the itch, and then you return, and then you end up with the Alliance of American Football and, and, and the San Diego Fleet, and then the following year with the XFL. What have the last few years just kind of been like overall, and how has the road been you know, going in and out of football throughout? It's been fun. Um... It's something that, you know, I've been asked this before, and it's something that I'm not necessarily sure I would recommend to follow my path, but it's definitely been the path for me. Um, it's been incredibly fun. You know, it's like if, from the outside in, from a broad perspective, it's like, hey, you quit the NFL, gets a good job working on Wall Street, quits that. Now he's playing in the AAF League. The AAF League gets shut down, you know, and then he goes plays in the XFL. The XFL gets shut down. So, you know, it, it could be seen that way, but for me, I got a chance to learn all about finance. I got a chance to see what the corporate world is like. I got a chance to really fall in love with finance, fall in love with investing, fall in love uh, with sales and trading, meet some incredible mentors and role models that I still talk to today in New York. I got to live with my brother who's a year older than me for two years when I was in New York. Um, and then I got to be reconnected with the game. So just like I was talking about earlier, you know, I got to connect with these other guys that were still chasing their dreams, whether it be, 
younger players that never got a chance to make it in the NFL. I feel like, you know, I got a chance to try and impact them for the better, whether it be teaching them, you know, how to go over film or what the difference is between college and the next step. Um, you know, I felt like I was an older, more veteran presence, both in the AAF and the XFL. So I have nothing but love and fun for my journey so far. Um, obviously, I'm just trying to take it and make the best out of it each and every day. And sure, there's been bumps in the roads. But at the end of the day, I'm very blessed, you know, to both play in the NFL, to work on Wall Street, to play in these other two professional leagues. So I think like anything, you always got to you know, look in the mirror and be like, hey, there's two ways you can think about all this. You know, you can make the best out of it or you can, you know, look down on yourself. And so I feel I've been very blessed with the opportunities that I've received. And it's been fun to say the least, but, uh, you know, I could go on about it. What would it take for a pro football league, an alternative pro football league to survive in this day and age? Do you have any advice for The Rock as he tries to uh, revive the XFL <laughs> or anything like that? What, 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 what do you think it takes to survive uh, for, a pro, for, for an alternative pro football league to survive in this day and age, or can it? You know, I'm, I'm not so sure it can. And it's a complex situation, obviously. Um, you have the demand there, right, when people talk about the XFL and the AAF the attendance is at the game. So in DC, we had awesome fans. We had the beer snake, like you were talking about. Incredible atmosphere at Audi Field, an incredible community behind us. In San Diego, we had the same thing. You know, they were obviously bummed about the Chargers not being there. So a lot of people embraced us as their team. And there are these cities and there are communities that embrace that extra football. What I would challenge a lot of people on and what I have before is, you know, you get this question, well, basketball has a minor league and all these other, you know, baseball has a minor league. Why does the NFL? And what I always say is they do have a minor league and it's called the NCAA and they don't have to pay players. And, you know, in football, your career is three years. So guys hit their peak, you know, when you're 26 to 30 and in basketball, you see guys like LeBron who are hitting their peak. I mean, who knows, right? He's, you know, however old he is when he's 35 and still averaging however many points a game and, being in the MVP race and it's completely different game. So I think there are a lot of challenges when it comes to football. Um, bottom line, being a finance and business guy is you have, you know, 53 guys on an active NFL roster, 10 practice squad guys, probably 20 coaches, five training staff, another five weight room staff. So it's like, you know, you're dealing with almost a hundred people per team to pay their salaries every year just to get a product on the field. So your bottom line's elevated. Then it comes back to the game of football. Well, you can only play eight to 10 games a year. So that's eight to 10 chances to make money, to have revenue. So you're paying more people. You have less chances to make money. And that's where I think the biggest difference is in these leagues is that, you know, basketball, you can play 50 games a year. You can play 100 games a year. You have 100 opportunities to make money. Um, but until people start paying to watch practices, then you're not going to have those chances to make money as a football team. So I think that those are the two biggest factors that people face in trying to make these upstart leagues. Um, and I get it. You know, there are communities that love football. But at the end of the day, in the world that we live in, it's about, you know, how many people can you get to watch and how many eyeballs can you get to watch and how much money can you make streaming or, you know, how are you going to do it? Because getting 20,000 people in a stadium for four home games, let's say for a team is not going to do it. It's not going to put the bill for 53 players, 60 players and another 20 coaches and all those people. So I think there are a lot of challenges. Um, I don't know that there's a better person to make that happen than the rock and, you know, the people that he has on board. So I'm again, hopeful, but I, I have had these conversations with a lot of people and I think there are very, very tough challenges and reasons for why it hasn't been done successfully yet. Huh, no, no doubt about that. Uh, certainly appreciate the insight uh, there on that. A couple last things here for you. Uh, I, I'd imagine you've been keeping an eye on, on Stanford football still uh, from afar. Uh, struggled last season, obviously, but overall, fantastic decade. And there were so many things that were on the table for this team that they're not going to have a chance to really explore in full if they're able to get back into the sprint, uh, swing of things before January 1st, after January 1st, whatever. This season isn't going to look like what it probably could have and should have right. uh, if they were on game with going to be, be able to kick off on time. Uh, your thoughts on Stanford football, where the program sits um, right now? 
I mean, you know, they're they're in a point where they know what needs to be done. You know, they know they need to play better and they know they want to do better. So it's a matter of, you know, are we going to do it as a program? I'm hopeful that they are. You know, Coach Shaw knows what he's doing. Um, you know, they have the talent there when it comes to the recruiting classes. And you look back at, got, you know, when I was there, it was a bunch of two-star and three-star, you know, even some walk-ons that made it to the NFL. So at the end of the day, you know, guys need to step up. And where that comes from, who's going to do it, how it'll be done, the only people that know, you know, are the guys in the locker room, the guys inside the building. I'm very hopeful that Sanford can do it. And you know, it's something where I'm I'm grateful and blessed to have been at Stanford during the time we were. So I, I'm not one to say that that can't be done again, but there are challenges to doing that, uh, certainly. And, you know, we had a lot of good players come through that I got to play with. And I think these guys can do it. I know a couple of guys on the team now, um, and I know they all have high hopes. Obviously, you know, this year is a whole world of other challenges that they have to face. But I do think that Stanford can get back to, you know, being at the top of the Pac-12. And, you know, I'm hopeful that's going to happen. Yeah, and the last thing I got for you here, one, one thing that no matter when Stanford uh, retakes the field, one certain position group that's going to be critical to watch is the inside linebackers, where the inside linebacker play that was so deep at the start of the season last year, that depth just got completely wiped out, and that, that, that play just wasn't there, at least certainly not to the level that, that, that Stanford had seen throughout much of the past decade or so. When, when folks are watching inside linebackers, whenever Stanford takes the field next year and trying to figure out who's doing well, what's going well, what should folks be watching and keeping in mind when they're watching the inside linebackers try to restore things to where they had been for the Cardinal uh, for much of the past decade? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I put something on Twitter yesterday about inside linebackers and that, you know, personally, I think that a lot of commentary or whatever goes on about inside linebackers or off the ball linebackers really is, is miscalculated because, you know, tackles – don't necessarily mean anything if you're making them 20 yards down the field. And as an inside linebacker, you know, especially myself, I got to play behind Henry Anderson, Josh Morrow, Ben Gardner, David Perry, all, you know, massive studs up front. So it's like that stuff matters too. And as a linebacker, you could get blamed for something that wasn't your fault. You could get the credit for something, you know, when you're unblocked and you're D lineman. So it's a very, complex position that I think a lot of people haven't spent the time um, to, I guess, simplify. But in terms of what to watch, I mean, you, you got to be able to tackle. So if the guys are tackling, not missing anything, if they're, you know, making the tackles and making plays, whether it be an interception, a sack, whatever it is, that's what you want to see. Um, you want to see a defense that's it looks like they're on the same page because as a middle linebacker, you know, that's our job is, hey, we got to make sure the DBs, get the call and the D line gets the call and then any adjustments, you know, you're kind of that middleman between the coverage and the rush up front or the run fits up front. So I think that the two things you could focus on are, are they making tackles, you know, and they're not missing tackles and does the defense seem like they're together as a unit. Things to watch out for when Stanford next takes the field, whenever that is. <laughs> When Stanford mm -hmm. took the field with this guy, they did fantastic things, and he had a huge role in that. And looking forward to seeing what else he's got up his sleeve as we go forward. A.J. Tarpley joining us here on the TreeCast. A.J., really appreciate the time. I've been looking forward to this chat. I'm glad we finally got a chance to catch up. Best of luck going forward. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me, man. It was an honor. Wow, uh, that was fun. AJ Tarpley uh, here on the TreeCast, and I'd kind of been uh, thinking about trying to get him on uh, since spring. Finally uh, got that done uh, this week. Perfect timing for it, and uh, that was – learned a lot in that chat. I hope you had as much fun as I did. And, man, that, that 2010 team, you know, that, that was for my money. Uh, even though other teams have won Rose Bowls, uh, the Fiesta Bowl team was no slouch either. But that 2010 team, man, that was that, – that, for my money, that's the best Stanford football team of my lifetime. And I remember being in South Bend uh, when Stanford uh, went to uh, play Notre Dame that fall. And uh, Owen Marisic uh, scored a touchdown as a fullback on one play and then took a pick six back on the very next play from scrimmage when he was uh, playing both ways and uh, made that play as a linebacker. But I will never forget, as long as I live, watching the guys step off the bus before that game. And it was just different 
it was just different, man. You knew right away that, whoa, this is this is Stanford football at a level that we haven't seen before. You know, these aren't guys that are, you know, on, on the team and, you know, they're, they, they pull 4.0. I mean, they, they still do fantastic work in the classroom and they're probably, you know, on their way towards, towards uh, solving a lot of the world's problems and all those sorts of things. But, you know, they could actually play some ball on the field too. You, you knew it was different. It was different. I could tell from that moment on. And, and that team, uh, that, for my money, still the, the best team of my lifetime um, in Stanford football. And it's amazing you mentioned uh, Devin Carrington and uh, David Car- Devin Carrington rather and uh, Daniel Perry. Without those two dudes, Stanford probably does not beat Oregon in 2012 and go to the Rose Bowl and win it that year. Because Devin Carrington had the, t- had the tackle from behind on Marcus Mariota. That really changed everything in that game, even though it was early on. And David Perry, the plug in the middle. If you want to beat Oregon, or if at least you wanted to beat Oregon back in those days, you needed to have that guy plugging things up in the middle, causing chaos at the line of scrimmage, and preventing Oregon from being able to control the middle. David Perry was that guy. So really neat to hear those two guys mentioned together and uh, the rooming um, with AJ uh, in, in Minnesota right now. And I've always been fascinated by how Stanford guys get, get labeled pretty quickly as guys who don't need football. And that somehow is a bad thing. We've heard, we heard that with Andrew Luck. I've even said it about Andrew Luck. You know, Football needs Andrew Luck a hell of a lot more than, than, than Andrew needs football. And it's true. Andrew doesn't need, need football. You know, there are all sorts of other things that satisfy Andrew's curiosities. And that's not just the core. Football's not the core of his being. And I think that's also the case for, for a lot of Stanford guys as well, where they're more than just about football. Yet in some, maybe many circles, certainly on the professional level, that's seen as a bad thing. Uh, you can't be, you know, he's, he's not all about football 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and even beyond that. So he certainly, you know, can't be committed to what we need to do to win football games on Sunday. And, and that's, that's not the case. That ain't the case. That's clearly not the case when you see what Stanford has done, placing guys in the NFL and having those guys make big contributions to big-time teams. So... It's, it is kind of that double-edged sword. I'm glad AJ brought it up that, you know, that at Stanford you can be about more things than just football. Other folks can use that as a negative if they want to, but I think the folks who get Stanford and get Stanford football know that that's one of the bigger positives you can possibly have about the place. So really enjoyed that conversation um, with A.J. Tarpley, and uh, I, I can't wait to see uh, what he comes up with going forward, whether it's on or off the field, no matter what he does. Looking forward to keeping an eye on, on A.J. going forward. As always, I welcome your thoughts and conversation on the show. Best way to do that is to hit me up on Twitter, uh, hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. You want to give me the follow as well, I recommend that too. At uh, Troy Clarity, the last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. And we come at you every week. We've been doing it somehow, some way, even without actual live games to break down. <laughs> Maybe we have them before the end of the year. Who knows? But uh, we've been coming at you every week, and uh, I don't see any reason why that would uh, cease in, uh, in, in any way, shape, or form um, in the weeks ahead. By the way, I'm just getting wind of this right now as, as I'm saying this. Uh, California Governor uh, Gavin Newsom, we talked about earlier in the show about the fact that, you know, with the Pac-12 having more rapid testing available, now it's basically up to Gavin Newsom in the state of California to give the green light in order for teams to hold practices and to be able to compete. Well, now I'm just reading that the Governor Gavin Newsom says that there's nothing keeping Pac-12 universities from playing football games in California. The quote from Gavin Newsom Nothing in the state guidelines denies the ability for the Pac-12 to resume. That's been a misrepresentation of the facts. End of quote from Governor Gavin Newsom. Hmm. That's interesting. So, now what? We'll see. We'll see. Again, I am out of the prediction business for the foreseeable future. And perhaps we're talking about returning to play for football on next week's show. Who knows? 
Who knows? Only thing I can suggest for you to do is to stay tuned. Subscribe to the show, rate it, and review it. Tell people about it. And uh, looking forward to bringing you the next edition of the TreeCast next week. Big time special thanks to our special guest, AJ Tarpley, for joining us on the show. Also, thanks to Walker Little. Enjoyed uh, chatting and uh, catching up with him as he makes his decision to head off to the National Football League. Of course, the biggest thanks goes out to you for joining us on the show. Do not drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet, just as dumb as the person who refuses to wear a mask. Mask it or casket, yours or someone's you love. We'll talk to you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.